0: Welcome to this APJ podcast. Welcome to PTJ author interviews. PTJ editor-in-chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty.
1: I want to welcome folks to this special PTJ podcast. Today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Steve George, who is the incoming editor-in-chief of PTJ. Uh, Dr. George and his day job is the Laszlo Orbandy Distinguished Professor in Orthopedic Surgery at Duke University. His primary research interest involves using biopsychosocial models for the prediction as well as the prevention of transition to chronic musculoskeletal pain disorders. Dr. George is currently a deputy editor of PTJ and he's been a long-time contributor as well as editorial board member of PTJ. Welcome, Dr. George. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you this morning, Alan. And congratulations on your
0: appointment as editor in uh, chief. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been been a little, uh, you know, crazy. Jan warned me that it would be crazy, and, and that she that has not been uh, a disappointment. So. But all, all good things, lots of people reaching out and, you know, congratulating me. And um, I, I assume there's some selection bias there that, you don't you don't hear from people that didn't think it was a good selection yet, but that that will come. But it's been very um, nice to hear, you know, kind words by uh, social media and by text and by email.
1: So um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I was delighted uh, to see the announcement and I look forward uh, to seeing you take charge of PTJ in the coming year. Let's start by talking a little bit about why it is you decided you wanted to be editor of PTJ at this point in your life and in your career. Yeah, um, thanks. It's a, you know, obviously it's
0: a consideration that um, you have to seriously weigh the time um, that is involved and how that fits with the other things that you have going on. And for me, you know, I've been involved with the journal for so long. you know, I, I wanted to remain involved and the opportunity to, to have, you know, the leadership role was just one I've had been interested in the past and, and remain interested in. So, um, you know, when I heard like everyone else that you were, you're wrapping up your term, um, I was very in, interested to interview and, and, and go through the process. So I think for me, it's, kind of the culmination of my involvement which i it's almost continuous from author um to reviewer to editorial board member to deputy editor to editor-in-chief and i know it doesn't work out for everyone like that but for me with just maybe a few minor you know times away from the journal um it's just been something that i've been interested in and i think having a strong journal is so important, you know, for so many reasons, for our profession, for the association. So um, to be part of that is just something I couldn't, couldn't pass up.
1: Well, as I reflect back on coming into the role as um, editor-in-chief, I remember discussing with the board uh, the, the key question of what my vision was for the journal going forward. And so I'd ask you that same question as, as you start your term as editor-in-chief. What 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 is your current thinking about your vision for the journal? Let's say uh, in, in the next five years, where do you hope the journal to go in your thinking? I think, first of
0: all, because I've been involved with the journal for so long, I'm, I'm pretty strongly aligned with where the journal was going. So, you know, I think Some of the logistic things that we're working on, like speeding up, you know, the review and publication times, um, that's something I'm really interested in because as I've talked to other editor-in-chiefs, you know, that really seems to be a key ingredient to attracting strong papers and strong authors is if you can turn some things around. And I know we've made concerted efforts with that, and I definitely want to see that continue. So one of them is to, you know, see a real noticeable change. I, know, I don't know if there's a, you know, there's not a clinically important difference for changing review time, but I'd, I'd like to test that out to see what, you know, what it, what is, um, what are some of the boundaries we can push in, in getting decisions quickly? Because, you know, it's one of the expectations and one of the pressures now of running a journal is, people expect there to be quick turnaround times. Um, we don't have authors like you and I, Alan, that remember sending in three carbon copies, you know, and you mail it off and it's gone for six months. You know, everyone, everyone now is uploading and they can monitor it. Um, you know, some journals give almost constant feedback on where your article is in the process. So I, you know, I, that's one of my visions: is that we we kind of become known for those fast and and fair decisions. Which, again, I see that's already in motion. So some of these things, it's hard to say that they're my vision. And I think that's partly just because I've been working with the journal. That this is where the journal needs to go. You know, I I do have a vision of changing the structure of the editorial board so that I I, I want it to align. A little better with some of the vital functions of the journal. So I think you know a lot of journals have editorial board members that are content expertise. I kind of want to blend that with some of the functions of the journal. So that's something that I, I expect in five years. Uh, the the editorial board structure may be a little bit different, whether we have more associate editors and, and no deputy editors, you know, I think some of that, um, I, I want to talk to the existing editorial board members about and, and get an idea of what kind of structure we think makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, I just, I really want us to be positioned well to retain and, and attract the best science, you know, something we've talked a lot about, get our reviewers and our board members very comfortable making decisions on impact you know, really having impact on the front of the brain when they're reviewing papers. I think sometimes we get caught up in the the technical parts of manuscript review. And then I think also preparing the journal for what role things like artificial intelligence will have in either reviewing or writing papers. Like, clearly, this will be a tool that is involved in academic publishing, not pretending that that's, you know, something we can avoid and, and really... Potentially being a leader in how to develop best practices for how that should be used as a tool for academic publishing. So th- those are some of the things, you know, that I'm interested in.
1: Great. That sounds great. I'd like to probe your thoughts on what I see as two issues that I really struggled with uh, during my tenure. And the first one has to do with the primary audience or audiences for the journal. Uh, as as I view it, there are two major audiences. You can focus on other scientists, or you can focus on clinicians, both in and outside of our profession. And I, I I'm comfortable with the choices I made around those issues. But I'm curious as to your thoughts, because I don't think there's a right or wrong on this one, but I'm curious what you are thinking as to the primary audience or audiences that you're going to try to focus on during your editorship. Yeah, I think, um,
0: and, and it's a great question. you know, I think part of it is obviously there. there is some work that can hit several of those audiences, you know, like the higher quality, higher impact, higher rigor work might be able to cut across some of those. So one one way is to really, you know, focus on on trying to get some of that work that is cross-cutting. Um, those will be rare, you know, those, those aren't things that occur frequently, but making sure that we're in the running for those types of articles will be really important because there are some, as you know, that it this type of discussion of who is this communicating with. Is, is almost on the back burner because it's just that obvious, you know, it's just such a good trial or it's just such a good cohort study, or it's just so innovative. Beyond that, you know, I, I do think back to that those different types of communications that occur. And, you know, I think based on the APTA membership, you know, some of it has to be communication to the clinical audience and based on what the scientific journal is, some of it has to be scientist to scientist communication too. And I think those would be what I would tend to prioritize and, you know, and just talking to this and thinking about it. And this is something you've written about and something I actually used to use quite a bit when I taught in DPT programs, because I think just having that idea that not everything is communicated to everyone, maybe that's something we should think about being very clear to in our instruction for authors. We could have the authors when they submit, you know, a paper, who are you trying to communicate with this? So maybe just being more explicit about that, you know, we we can group articles by measurement, by, you know, pain management, and maybe we can think about, you know, getting a little bit more um, explicit about, well, who, who is your intended audience for this? And that may also help, The reviewers because i i do think a lot of times people think they're communicating to a clinical audience and their study either doesn't have enough quality or rigor to truly be talking to a clinical audience and i think a lot of times when people are thinking about communicating with other scientists you know it that there's some things there that could help us screen out you know some articles so those would be the two that i would would think of um for the journal, but I, I agree with you. It is, there is no right answer because there are some things that may need to break that rule. It's not really a rule, but maybe if that is our preference that we would need to have room to make exceptions. And, you know, case reports are something really that pop in, you know, they're meant to be kind of the clinician to scientist communication. I think they rarely function that way, but when they do, they're really powerful because they're giving people ideas of, you know, what maybe an intervention that could be tested in a different way and truly have effectiveness determined versus just, you know, seeing it work once or twice and we're reporting on it. So those are some of the things, but I, you know, like you, I, if you're, you're a smart guy, you haven't figured it out. I'm not going to have a definitive answer for it, but I certainly will be aware of it. And I think it's something, you know, that we could communicate in different parts of the review process to maybe help us make those decisions and help the readers know, you know, this is truly who this was intended for.
1: Thanks, Steve. That's helpful. I agree with you. It is a, it is a challenge that you're going to face throughout your editorship. The other challenge that I see with PTJ is the sheer breadth of the content that uh, the journal, at least during my tenure, has tried to entertain. We've been very open to a broad array of science and scholarly commentary. And I'm curious, I mean, there are good sides and bad sides to that choice. One thing that I, I do do know, uh, as editors, I, I hear from people all the time that they they feel that their particular area is not represented enough, that we just don't give enough respect to X, Y, Z. What are your thoughts on the breadth of content that you plan to cover in PTJ? I think
0: PTJ, to differentiate itself from some of the component journals, probably needs to have a broader scope. So I, you know, I think what we need to do. And, and, and I think we've done it well. And I, you know, I keep saying we, I know I wasn't the editor in chief before, but I was involved and I, you know, I really feel like as you do, you know, this is, these aren't decisions that just you make. I mean, this, this is how, this is how the board philosophy goes and, Um, you know, when I say board, I mean, the editorial board and and the reviewers, I think, you know, there, there is a little different approach to a journal like PTJ versus some of the component journals. So I would like to keep it kind of at a broad, um, spectrum. Now, of course we don't want to dilute it. You know, uh, you can't have it be so broad that it serves no one. So, um, know i think that is the challenge and i think we're starting to get you know and you've started this exercise alan of we're starting to look at some journal types and topics that maybe there are some indications that are more useful to our readership whether it's based on downloads whether it's based on what is cited and that might be something that we can use you know a data informed approach but we do have to be careful because that's so self you know that reinforces what's already been published so You know, I I tend to think for every five people that say my area isn't represented, you know, probably one out of five of those, it's legitimate. And the other four out of the five are just kind of complaining. And I think that's what we need to do is the data will reinforce, um, but we need to be aware and use our discretion in other areas that are emerging or that are going to be innovative. And I think, again, this really, to me, drives the importance of looking at impact looking at the quality and looking at the, you know, the innovation as, and and caring secondarily about that content, you know, is this ortho, is this neuro, is this women's health? But if it's, if it's a strong design and strong approach, you know, that again should kind of um, trump some of the other factors.
1: And those are the articles we want in, in PTJ. Speaking of challenges, one of the publishing challenges that you're going to have to face in your tenure is the phenomenon of open access, and as you know, we introduced open access uh, and made PTJ a hybrid journal uh, back in I think it was 2017. We started entertaining open access articles and uh, having authors pay a fee to have their article published and then become immediately available to everyone, whether they're a subscriber or not, or a, a member of aPTA or not. Uh, and the, each year, the percentage of what we've published as open access has increased. But as you know, there are pros and cons of being a hybrid journal. Uh, have you given thought to where you want to take PTJ with respect to open access during the next five plus years?
0: I mean, I think my general thought is uh, would like to see um, you know, higher percentage, open access, um, likely remaining a hybrid journal, um, but but seeing increases. And, and, you know, I think that is just responsive to where a lot of scientific publishing is going right now. Um, you know, I don't think it's, when I say it's my read, I don't think it's unique to me, but there a lot of people um, are curious to see how this push towards open access which everyone seems to agree is the right way you know to have access to the information that it could not be you know kept um behind association you know walls or provider walls you know that a lot of this information should be available especially when it's funded externally and and um the question is how do we get a business model that supports that so that um you know, it is sustainable. And, you know, from the author perspective, it's the article processing charges. And, you know, how much is that going to cost if we go to a larger percentage? Um, And as you know, the other strategy that some of the journals that we, you know, share a space in, they stay kind of their normal journal, and then they create an open access partner journal. And, You know, journals that have high rejection rates like PTJ do, that's a decision that they've made, and and I understand it. And I would imagine that's something else we need to discuss, too, because that would be an option that could be truly open access and would meet all the requirements of, you know, the different stipulations from different scientific and national bodies. So it's definitely going to be on the radar. You know, I hope we have clear direction on that in five years beyond me saying there's going to be more open access because that trend is... But I I think that obviously involves more than just the editor in chief. We need to get input from other, other people and then make a clear plan. But, you know, my role will be what is the best way to communicate the science and how can we get it out there quickly and efficiently once it has met the criterion. And if we do go in the direction, you know, of like a companion journal, I'm certainly not suggesting that is the direction. I'm just saying other journals have done that and, and it's no, Surprise! how do we do that in a way so that doesn't become you know considered ptga light or ptga minus and then that's a perception thing but i've seen some do it really well and i've seen some struggle you know and i think we can look at the models that have done it really really well and and follow some of those any other thoughts you want to share with our listeners steve at this point no i'm just you know i appreciate the chance to talk with you uh I'm I'm looking forward to it. January will be here quickly, and I'm um, just trying to, right now, keep up with the things that uh, need to be done during the transition. You know, I I'm appreciative. It's a a friendly and you know cooperative transition. I really appreciate you know all the collegiality you've shown me during your time, and you know I thought we really worked well together. I appreciated. Appreciate that, and when it's my turn, when you hand over the keys to the car, you know I'll be ready. And I, I also know where to find you. So whether you, you know, whether you respond or not is up to you. But I, I know where to, where to find you. So.
1: Well, congratulations again, Steve. Thank you.
0: You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org/podcasts. Thanks for listening.